Hi, everyone. This is Utano Public Health Chats with your host, Fiona. And today I am excited to host our first guest who is from Rwanda, which is where I'm currently based. So excited to have someone from the country I'm currently working in. I'll let her introduce herself. But before that, I guess it's been a long time coming, getting someone from Rwanda. And I, it was, I was like, not to put any pressure on my guest today or anybody, but I really did spend some time thinking, who can I interview and who would kind of like tell the story of how they're doing their public health journey, um, who's currently based in Rwanda. Excited to hear from her. And this is another, yet another Twitter connection. So I've definitely been digging online on all my mutuals, some from Rwanda, some from uh, Uganda as well, to find people who are doing public health work um, and are already like excited and sharing. And that's how I came across this person. So I'm excited as well to learn and hear from them about their journey and I'll let them introduce themselves. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Sandra, and the work that you do and where you're based? Yes. Um, first of all, cheers to Twitter for connecting us. I'm very, very excited to be here today. And as you just started, stated, my name is Sandra Isano. I am a Rwandan, a global health professional currently based in Rwanda. I, uh, I hold a master's in global health and I'm currently pursuing a PhD in global health at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. For my PhD, I am investigating the factors associated with adolescent pregnancies and their implication in the refugee camps in Rwanda. And I believe that a project like this would be vital in forming humanitarian organizations, policymakers, and government entities in order to facilitate the development of programs and policies that address the unique needs of adolescent refugee girls. I, I also work at the University of Global Health Equity, which is a health science university based in Butaro, that is a, a rural area in Rwanda. I work as a lecturer and a coordinator of community-based education in the Department of Community Health and Social Medicine. I am responsible for coordinating the community-based education program, which really complements the traditional classroom and laboratory experience by giving students a place to carry out learning service and research within a real-world setting. My current roles are at the University of Global Health Equity, really provide me the venue to hone research community service and uh, leadership skills thank you yeah no that's amazing how how do you manage all of that sounds like you're doing a lot of amazing work yeah and i've always i feel like ugh i've always been like i don't even know if that's a thing for like organizations but it's like one of my crush organizations that i'm always like following <laughs> all their cool work and things that they're doing so excited to have someone who uh, works there and is affiliated with them as well and um, shout out to your PhD project that sounds really cool so we can get into all those different things that you mentioned throughout the episode but before we get into kind of like the meat of like maybe your PhD that you mentioned or the community health work that you talked about and your role at UGHE can we maybe hear from you and talk about like how like have you always wanted to do public health work or the work that you're doing right now? Or like, how did you end up doing this work? Like, where did this journey of yours start? 
Well, that's really interesting because I'm not one of those people who say that I've always wanted uh, or known that I, I wanted to do work in public health. In fact, I wanted to be a news anchor when I was a child. I remember wow. growing up, <laughs> I listened to, to the news in all languages. I would listen to news in Kenya, Rwanda, in English, in French. And my dad was a writer, so I grew up seeing so many writings in my surrounding. So that's really what I wanted to do. So when I went to high school, I was so sure I was going to be a news anchor. Then when I got in um, senior three, that's the time that we were supposed to choose a subject we want to focus on. I went and told the headmistress that I wanted to do languages and literature. And she told me, Sandra, you are too smart. It was a time that they were empowering, motivating girls to do sciences. So mm-hmm. under her influence, I ended up doing biochemistry. And that's how I ended up going to the University of Rwanda to study pharmacy and Later on, I, I, when I finished my pharmacy degree, I worked in a community pharmacy. And that's really where I would say that my passion to want to do something in public health uh, began. I remember receiving so many patients who uh, made me even question why aren't these patients going to the health centers, to the hospitals? I would get all kinds of patients. And that got me really thinking and questioning, why is it that they're coming to me? And then what was really a conclusion was that patients felt uh, felt sometimes really safer and, and trusted, or even they felt that they had more or time to speak if they went to a community uh, pharmacy than the hospital. Now, I'm not here saying that the hospitals or other healthcare delivery settings are not doing a great job. No, 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 they're doing mm-hmm. a great job. But because of their nature, patients mm-hmm. didn't have enough opportunity to interact with their professionals. So they preferred going to a place where they can tell you even things that are not related to their, their medical condition. And then I really knew that the healthcare is not something that happens within the four hospital walls rather something that really stretches in people's uh, homes, their ability to pay bills, their relationship with the healthcare providers. And I applied for this amazing fellowship called the Global Health Core Fellowship. And it gave me a great opportunity to uh, go do a training on leadership. And after I worked with an organization called the Rwanda Zambia HIV Research Group, and there I was doing research on uh, sexual gender minorities and female engaged in sex work. And I saw that these people were facing so many problems because, you know, the society ha- have placed them at the margins. And that really made me feel that this is the work that I wanted to do, that I wanted to be able to really make a positive impact in people's lives. So from there... I, I, I rejoined UGHE. At that time, I was a student doing their master's in global health delivery. And after learning the social determinant of health, I really understood that my place belonged in public health. So now I am really excited that I'm able to do it uh, through training the next generation of, of global health leaders, next generation of doctors, but also through research, generating new evidence, which will hopefully inform policy and uh, their programming that we make in public health and even global health. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, what a journey. <laughs> what a I didn't know you were a pharmacist by training. That's amazing. You're a second pharmacist, I think, so far. Um, but it's really interesting how you started out wanting to be a news anchor. So your initial career and, and like um, aspirations are like motivated by, you know, your environment and what you're seeing, like, like you mentioned um, from your dad doing a lot of like writing. Um, very similar as well. I think a lot of people so far that I've interviewed are influenced either by their environment or the people in their childhood about what they want to be. And then I had a follow-up question. You mentioned being in senior three and where you have to decide a subject to focus on. Can you maybe um, explain to our non-Rwandan audience what like senior three means? Like at what age will you be in senior three? And how does like the education system in high school for Rwanda look like now when you choose to specialize? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that question. So senior three, that would mean that you are in your third year in high school. In Rwanda, primary school is six years and then you, you do six years in high school. But those six years are divided into two. You have three years where you're doing the general, really all the subjects. And when you finish the, uh, the first three years, you're supposed to pick a course, basically like a combination that you focus on. Some combinations are on languages and literature, mm -hmm. others are in humanity and others are sciences. So for people who want to do um, public health, global health or medicine, you are expected to choose something that is science related outcome. And for your in your case, you were kind of like encouraged to choose the science route because they kind of saw your potential and wanted to have more goals. Yeah, it was never it was never something I wanted to do, but I don't regret it. I think this is why I did well. <laughs> Shout out to the people who pushed you. Yeah, it's really interesting how sometimes it's it's like with careers and choosing the stories always start earlier, right? And also. Even especially at the high school point, I think guidance is so important in the schools and like having either mentors or people who um, kind of see whether it's like it's your passion or your talent, whatever it is, right, to kind of suggest different things. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it works out great, like in your story. <laughs> and sometimes people really get exactly. into things <laughs> where they're like, this is not what I wanted to do. But just like keeping that in mind that our parents, our teachers, different people, you know, at different stages in our life influence and inform um, the choices that, you know, come in front of us for careers. So for you, that pushed you to the biochemistry route. And then you ended up at, you said University of Rwanda, right? Um, doing yes. pharmacy. And mm -hmm. that's a four-year degree at UR? That's a five-year degree. Oh, well, also you guys do the five, five year out. Yeah, I, I learned from our last episode that they're different. I thought yeah. pharmacy degree, but it turns out there's slightly different ways you can end up. So you did the five year in pharmacy and actually worked in, as a community pharmacist, it sounds like, for a while. And were you working as a community pharmacist here in Kigali as well? well yes, right. I was working in Kigali that time. I worked for two years in Kigali. Okay. And like when you say, I'm just thinking in the context of Rwanda, when you say community pharmacists, are those like the ones, for example, like if I go to the shops in Remera and I go to a pharmacist today, is that, the, is that a community pharmacy? Yes, those are community pharmacies because okay. you also have the hospital pharmacies. If you went to King oh, Faisal, you find mm -hmm. the hospital. So that one, the ones that we tend to see, sometimes they are called the retail pharmacies, but they are okay. really also community pharmacies because you, you live. Yeah. You, 
you deal with so many community health problems. That's true, because I will sometimes show up and just say, I have this. I think the other time I burned myself a couple months ago and I went to the pharmacist, right? My, I didn't go my, I didn't go straight to the facility. I first went to the pharmacist and I was like, okay, I have this like burn on my leg. What should I put on it? You're right. Um, and then in that way, you know, pharmacists then become the first, in terms of health workers, they become the first line of entry, right? For those yeah, they really are, yeah. For for actually many of the health conditions, the mm-hmm. a lot of people choose to go to the pharmacies, although it's not encouraged for some mm-hmm. of the health conditions where you need to be tested, you need to do some some lab tests. It's not recommended, but I, my understanding is that people prefer pharmacies just because you can walk in and you probably get. Um, you get the personalized care. You get to speak with this person for as long as you want. You are their customer and they want you mm-hmm. to come back. So it's it's more of, I think, a good customer experience. Again, <laughs> I remember we were doing um, a program and we were encouraging pharmacies to send mm-hmm. clients of sexually transmitted infections to this uh, institution I was working with. And it was really because we were telling them to send clients that they would uh, have otherwise treated to us so that we can do the testing and everything that needs to happen before you confirm that someone has a sexually transmitted infection. And it was very difficult to even get people to come to us because they would still get medicines from the pharmacy. So I think it's, it's a common practice, but it's not a good, it's not a great practice, I would say. Right. If you're thinking about like holistic care and like, like you said, like actually doing the testing and a full consultation, you know, sometimes you come in with one symptom, but it might be related to like many other things, right, with your body. But yeah, also like that's me speaking as a public health person, but I'm also just thinking as like a regular person that I'm like, yeah, pharmacies are so much easier. One, because there's just they tend to be more of them than like actual facilities, right? Because like you said, they're commercial, they're selling things. So they're usually more accessible. And sometimes yeah. when you're busy and you self-diagnose and you think, ah, this is not even a big thing. Let me just, it's more convenient, I guess, is what I'm saying, like to just quickly stop by um, yes. a pharmacy and like quickly get something that will be like a Band-Aid or like a quick fix. As opposed to like, when I think about going to the doctor, I always go, oh, let me look at my... the of the queue you know how many people and tell my boss that I'm gonna have to get off work this morning and then even going to the hospital sometimes like especially for something sensitive like you brought up like the um, sexually transmitted infections like that's Mm. something sensitive right so uh depending on like where I live and the community I'm in right um that might be scary actually going to facility because then then it becomes this official thing, right? Then you walk in, you get tested, and that might be intimidating if there's no like support or like peers walking you through. Whereas if it's a pharmacy, I can like play it cool. <laughs> exactly. And just but like think... nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow. And it's not really entire, but I think if they were given their they were given capacity, like for example, some of the testing uh, rapid tests, which I believe they can do, if uh-huh. we can trust community health workers if we can train community health workers to do malaria testing to do pneumonia testing we can also trust healthcare professionals to do the same so i do think it's mm-hmm. really more a matter of capacity building and maybe having facilities that can uh, accommodate all the work that we would want them to do but it's still a good place 
It is a good place. Yeah. And, and I'd never, yeah, because I don't have any pharmacy background, of course, in, before this podcast. And also just, I think we ended up, we ended up not going forward with that project, but I remember we did, I do diagnostics research and we submitted a, a proposal for antigen testing, like you're saying, in pharmacies in Cameroon. That was one of the things we submitted. And I'd never thought of, of like, pharmacies as like this I, I know like the community healthcare worker model and very familiar with that but had not like the thought had never occurred to me that pharmacies are a point of care or sometimes are forced to like you're saying become a point of care as people find them convenient and accessible and for many other reasons so all, it's really interesting how we can be creative in our solutions and like you said we think about capacity building at different levels and places of care that people might not necessarily think of, oh, if you're sick or a pharmacy, people just rush to think about your clinic or your hospital. But yeah, that's great. So you did a pharmacy training, you worked for a couple of years as a community pharmacist, and it sounds like your experiences there is kind of what opened up, opened you up to, I loved how like you experienced the things first. This is something I found interesting in your story so far. You experienced the things first as a community pharmacist. And then it sounds like you went to school for your master's. And there's like, you'd already, it sounds to be like you'd already seen the social determinants of health. It's just that once you went to school, you now had the words for it, right? The vocabulary. This is social determinants of health. People being able to come to you as a pharmacist and maybe not talk about directly their health, but other things that will end up affecting their health, right? That is social determinants of health. And it sounds like the, the master's program that you mentioned at UGHC and your GHC fellowship um, mm-hmm. were very like influential. So what, which one started the fellowship or the master's for you? In terms of their inspiration, I would say that um, really what what started was my work in the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And I remember really going back to the classes we're doing. I later later on, retrospectively, Mm -hmm. I realized that most of the lessons were really skewered towards, you know, curative practices like dispensing medications in the hospital and Working in the pharmacy, I would say, really, it made me realize that I was dealing with only the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. As again, I, I was, it was very clear to me that the source of patients' ill health often lived outside the hospital walls. Mm-hmm. And the fellowship happened right after the pharmacy. And during the, the fellowship, partly I was in Zambia and the other part I was in Kigali uh, with the Rwanda Zambia HIV research group. And the works that I contributed on were mostly on men who have sex with men and female who are engaged, engaged in sex work. And I working with several several um, advanced researchers studying antiretroviral therapy, compliance among MSM in Kigali and Zambia. It really helps me to really now see these problems and that time I wasn't really this vocabulary of social determinant of, of health mm-hmm. was non-existent in my in my codebook and then when I I at that time I really knew that what I wanted to do was to solve problems mm-hmm. and going to UGHE the university is really centered on, on the idea that um, health is a human right and that we should understand healthcare in a holistic way. 
And that's where social determinant or condition in which people live in, grow in, work in, influence, uh, who gets ill or who even recover and all that. So when I was doing my master's, everything was centered towards equity and social justice. Mm -hmm. And the most common word that appeared to me was social determinant of health. And so I I actually came to really now connect, to connect Mm -hmm. things. I came to understand what my work and the issues I was seeing, where they originated from. So what started, I think it's really pharmacy followed by my fellowship, the JHC fellowship, then UGHE, and now really my daily work, being in the rural area, training the doctors in the rural areas, going to the facilities, taking students in the communities, taking them to a place where they sometimes, you know, climb hills and try to put themselves in the shoes of a a pregnant woman who lives there if it takes four hours to get to the facility. So we want the doctors to understand that if a patient comes to you, it is not just about prescribing. You also have to talk to a person to understand how, how is the situation at home. You are telling them that they are not taking medication, but is it really that they are not taking medications or there are other problems or they don't even have food? That they can't take medications or they don't, there are a lot of maybe uh, misconception in the community where they live. People don't trust their, their the people trust the traditional healers. So we, we really take them in those uh, conditions, in those situations. We, we sort of create a, a simulation experience so that they can learn. And to me, the social determinant has now become more apparent. It's like my everyday work. Yeah, you get to see it. Yeah, no, that's that's really amazing. And that that is very much public health, right? Being able to connect, like you're saying, connecting those dots and realizing that I really like what you say, the part about what happens in the hospital. You mentioned two things that I noticed. You mentioned that that was just like the prescription of the medication and giving patients their pills is like the tip of the iceberg. I like that. And then also what you said about the care, like healthcare, I guess, or care provided to patients in the four walls of the hospital just being like that's literally the last step. Like most of it has happened before they walk into that hospital, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And I think that's really, at least in my in my in my definition of public health, that's really like public health thinks about all those other factors and like a patient showing up for care at a facility, uh, whether it's a pharmacy or a community facility or a clinic. Uh, which is pretty cool. So shout out to GHC fellows, shout out to UGHE and University of Rwanda for where you got all your amazing training. Shout out (laughs) to them. We'll definitely plug them in the episode notes so that people can check them out. Uh, I know so many people now at this point who've done the GHC fellowship and they're all amazing people. So I feel like it's a really cool program. And then maybe, so, okay, so you do the GHC fellow, you do your master's, and you, like you mentioned, UGHE was very crucial in kind of like framing the way you look at public health. Um, But before we talk about how you define public health, can you maybe then talk about the work that you do now? I know you talked about it a bit at the beginning. You said you you help train uh, doctors, you said. You're a lecturer at at UGHE, and you now work with these doctors doing community like community-based research it sounds uh can you maybe describe for us 
like for maybe somebody who then listens to this and they say, oh, I want to be like Sandra when I grow up. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, what's a typical day or typical week uh, look like for the work that you do specifically with the community-based arms? Yes, thank you, Fiona. My work is really focused on three main things. One is teaching and the second is research. The other one is community service. For the part of teaching, I um, I coordinate the community-based education. So our medical students and the master's students, they take lots of really interesting classes. But after that, we do organize sessions where they go to the community to learn the concept, some of the concepts that were taught in classroom to take them in the field. They at times go and meet the, the nurses or midwives working at the health centers. They go and meet women in their cooperatives. They We sometimes do the work, the talks where they will just work and we we uh, we create scenarios and questions that allow them, allow us to really connect the classroom of learning and the field-based learning. So I spend my time partly on that community-based education, but I also... Uh, support in teaching the qualitative research for our master's students and um, that's the aspect of teaching and I also do research and my research is really focused on women's health and adolescent uh, reproductive health. I actually have an interesting uh, a piece of research that got published recently on menstrual health um, hygiene management knowledge and practices for high school students in Butaro. We were looking at really different things and the kind of challenges they face when it comes to managing their menstrual health. And I'm actually excited because uh, I get to present this work in the International uh, Conference on Gynecology in November in, in Paris. And we are also, yeah, yeah it's really exciting and we are also uh, doing an intervention that is a result it's really a result of this uh, study an intervention to teach girls on how to make their usable sanitary pads but that's not on the only thing we are doing we are also initiating the SRH clubs in schools we have currently done this in one school we are doing it this month in another school and we will go on and it's really exciting because it's something that touched me personally because being told that there is a young woman who had to drop out of a school out of school because of a part that was so heartbreaking uh, to me. And I was told such things during the different discussions I had with students and data collection. A lot of girls mentioned how they use the low, low quality, low quality stuff like leaves, like like the mud, like the sand when they are in their periods. And it was just so it was just so painful. So I do research. I'm also doing uh, currently doing research on fistula to look at the experiences of uh, women who uh, who have fistula before and after corrective surgeries. And I really have quite so many uh, research ongoing that are all on, on women and, and adolescents. And then the other part I do is on community service. Because in my work, we do not really only believe in identifying problems. We also want to co-create solutions with the communities that we serve. So for most of the uh, 
problems that we do identify when we take students uh, in the community-based education, we also really go back to that, those community and we craft solutions with them. We also work with our students to we 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 work with them to to really they are very very outside really the active stakeholders in this community service. So. I did mention of the menstrual health program. It's called we we called it Visa Initiative, but we mm-hmm. also have others that are that are on the uh, hygiene, like for example, at the donating water filters and really working with them and seeing how that can improve the hygiene there. So there's a lot of uh, community service. So I'll say my work is really teaching when I'm not teaching, I'm doing research. I am also mentoring the, our, our medical students on research and also the doing community service that tends to be tied to the research that I'm doing. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> that's a lot there. You've touched so much that I feel like each of those things can be a podcast episode <laughs> between the like menstrual health one, the cistula research. That sounds so interesting. I've seen some work on that as well. Um, please feel free after the episode to just share if like any published work that you've done that you'd want people to take a look at, especially in the random context. I think people would love to hear findings and like key recommendations, you know, for our audience and for other people in other countries who might be looking at similar work as well. I know episode one, we had someone doing menstrual health, a menstrual health PhD in Zimbabwe as well. So I'd be curious to do my own return of public health, like collaborative sharing, <laughs> which would be cool. I think, yes, yes, yeah. I will. I'll do that. That's amazing. So it sounds like your work integrates into each other, but it's core. You're doing teacher teaching, research, and community service and mentorship under the teaching piece as well, which is really cool. And okay, so my other question when you were describing your <clears throat> your current work in your intro was on your PhD that you mentioned. You said you're doing work on adolescent health for women and refugees. Can you talk a little bit more about maybe what Maybe what was your thought process or your decision to let's talk about like maybe the decision to pursue a PhD and why you thought that that was something you wanted to do, what drove you there? And then also specifically on that research topic, uh, why you wanted to do that specifically a little bit more about that and then what that looks like now as you're conducting it. Yes. Um, what led to the PhD? Yes, I want to continue to really pursue a career in academia. And I actually want to have a sustainable um, career as a population health research. And it was important for me to pursue um, further education. But also, I really wanted to, to study something that, I, that I'm passionate about. So I, I've always known that I'm interested in in sexual and reproductive health, but there is something about really women. I that's really where my passion is. But I, I also wanted to do something meaningful. And you might know that refugees are among the most vulnerable population. You can imagine being in a foreign country when you have you are under the status of of refugee. And mm-hmm. there has been uh, other research that were published and they were they all noted that pregnancy teenage pregnancy was one of the top problems that were experienced so i did reach out to different humanitarian actors that are working in the refugee camps they had some unpublished data that 
could really show you that teenage pregnancy is still a problem. So I guess that's really where I got the idea wanting to contribute to the existing body of literature on the teenage pregnancy generally in Rwanda, but, to, but really focusing on the one of the group that I think is very uh, vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, which is the the adolescent uh, in the refugee camps. So that's really how I ended up choosing them. And currently, I the study just really started. I'm, I'm just a first year uh, PhD student, and I have a lot to do in the, on that research. But currently, I'm actually um, really gathering the existing literature, what other people have done, and uh, really justifying why my research has to happen now. And uh, I am about to begin data collection, and this uh, should happen um, early next year. I really want to uh, gather different pieces of information. One will really be with the teen mothers to understand their experience. How were they able to navigate uh, pregnancy? What uh, support exists in the refugee camp? Uh, did they have the information they needed? What do they perceive or what do they think were the, the causes or the factors that led to their pregnancy? I also want to understand really what happens when a woman gives birth. Uh, what happens? Do they have the, well, if they wanted to go back to school? Do they have their, 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 what are the enablers? What are the blockers? And what when they get at school, what happens? What, what are the available resources that uh, make reintegration um, easy? I also want to talk to the, the, their parents and to other people who provide the SRH services in the camp. And in the end, I am looking at creating a solution or something it's also more of really uh, an action research where in the end we want to come up with, to come up with a tool or something they think might work for them that it, that will be created or co-created um, based on the research findings but also really based on their knowledge and with also the interaction that I plan to have with different stakeholders doing the humanitarian work in the refugee camp. So I'm really, really so excited about this uh, research. And I'm also really very excited about the information that I'm finding. I guess oftentimes when you are, you know, of a topic, you think that you are an expert in code and that really limits what you can learn. So mm-hmm. I am glad that I'm no longer in my comfort zone, that I'm doing a lot of research on that and so much looking forward to to the future yeah you're right this is the third time this is like i feel like your project is really exciting i'm I'm excited to like hear more as your journey continues and then specifically on the humanitarian aspect when you're working with the refugee population that's i think this is the third episode we've had a guest i think our last episode was actually with someone who is a humanitarian worker and they do safeguarding work in Sudan. Am I getting this right? South Sudan. <laughs> and then um, in the episode before that, we were actually talking about how public health involves a lot of populations that are usually, you know, not on the forefront and tend to be, like you said, vulnerable and marginalized. And the, the issue on immigration and like refugee health really came up. Uh, so it's really interesting. Now we have this episode and we have you sharing, you doing a PhD work to kind of actually say, okay, what's going on and why is it going on this way? And then what happens when, you know, these instances happen? So 
Pretty excited to have you add to the body of knowledge, which is always exciting. Um, I definitely also enjoy research. So always excited when people share about like the, re the research they're doing or their findings. Uh, so please keep us posted. I'm noticing now that we've been having so much fun. <laughs> We're running out of time. But maybe if you could share, I think we've heard so much about like we've talked already about why you pursued a career in in public health after your basic training and we've talked about like the things that motivate you and your passion and, and why you find meaning and impact in the work that you do can you maybe share based off of all the things that you've shared about your journey so far okay before we get into the deep one maybe let's just do what is your favorite thing you say you do teaching you do research you do community service of all the things that you do what are your favorite things about like either the favorite specific things that you enjoy doing yeah. or or like, what is your favorite thing about working in public health? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, but if I were to share something that I find interesting is really the synergy that happens when we work together, collaboration. So there's a lot of power that lies in the community and in ours, even in our colleagues. So I am really much motivated by what we can all achieve when we work together. So I'm, that's really something that motivates me. Well, I hadn't even thought about that. That's a good, that's a good different answer. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think a couple of people have brought it up, but you're right that it is a collaborative field. Um, and it's a field where we get to see different, I know this is an overused word, but like different stakeholders that you wouldn't always like, I feel like Let's take any other field. Like if you're trained to be a high school teacher, I feel like you will always work with students, right? That's your kind of like stakeholders yeah. that you're involved in. But yeah. public health as a field is unique in that, like you said, you have a pharmacy background, but you now work training doctors. You work with like the actual clients, the patients, but also get to work and mentor students in training. Um, and like even working with, like you mentioned for your PhD work, um, different actors in the humanitarian space, people who lead these refugee camps. Those are all different groups of people, right, that you wouldn't otherwise work with on a day-to-day. -day. So that's a very, you're right, that's a very specific um, feature of public health, which is really fun and cool. Yeah, and then maybe for one of our last main questions, can you also kind of adding on to like your favorite thing about public health, would you also define like what, what would you say like, how would you define public health for yourself? Or like, when you say I work in public health or global health, I know people use those terms uh, a lot of times interchangeably, but like, what does that mean to you? And how would you define that? Thank you, Fiona, for that important question. To me, public health or global health is really the art of creating healthy communities through education, research and promotion of health lifestyles. And I also think public health includes or focuses on health promotion and disease injury prevention, which, which is really different from the medical model of care, which focuses more heavily upon diagnosing and treating illnesses and condition and condition after they occur. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a really cool, yeah, that's a good definition. So it's interesting now. I feel like I'm also doing my little bit of data collection with the podcast. My end is still, I think you're number 12, <laughs> but it's really interesting to see based on the work that people do or their experience, how they each define uh, the work, like the, the field differently. And it's all like true. Um, I think the running theme so far this season has been that public health 
uh, we use the analogy of like it's a public health elephant like depending on where you're touching right the different things and you highlighted in your definition you say the the education, the health promotion component, the prevention. I also like that you, in your definition, you highlighted at the community level, with I think, which I think speaks to the nature of the work that you do, right? Yes, for the community, <laughs> always, anyway. <laughs> right, yeah. So the different populations at different levels, and for you, it's primarily at the community level, and looking to do education, health promotion, prevention, and also, like you say, doing research that is collaborative. And I like the piece where you talked about, like you specifically outlined community service tied to the research so that research is not just like an extractive process, but a process in which uh, once you have findings, you kind of go back and work with the community. You also used a lot of cool terms that I'm going to take from this point onwards. You said co-creating solutions which I thought was really cool. <laughs> and we'll be using that. I like that idea of like, yes, we had a research question, we collected the data, but what's the way forward? And like, how do we pull in, you know, the communities that we are doing the research with to come up with these solutions? And it's problem solving as well. All very good stuff. And I think um, all very much public health and global health. So thank you for that. As we wrap up, maybe... Actually, no, before, I think we've been way too positive. We talked all about the lovely things and things we learned. Before we do words to the wise, can you say, you can pick from these two questions, either one, what are like your least favorite things <laughs> about working in public health? Or maybe if you could just tell us like, what do you know now? You know, it sounds like how many, yeah, first, actually, I don't know, how many years of experience do you have? Would you say I've been in this field for X amount of years? How many is that? And in your years of experience, you know, going back to the, like the pharmacy, the fellowship and all of that, what do you now know in the field of public health and global health work that you wish you knew earlier? <laughs> so you can pick from either least favorite things or what do you know now that you wish you knew earlier in the field? Yes, um, I have now 10 years, 10 years experience in public health. And my least favorite thing wow. is that we keep doing the same thing and expect different results. There is a lot of knowledge in the world. People have published, have done research. We really know some of the solutions that don't work but we want to repeat those solutions and we expect those to be magic bullets. So I really had that, that we sometimes have evidence, but our practices are not really tied to the evidence. That's my least favorite. Oh my gosh, we could do a whole episode on that, Sandra. But why is it like that? <laughs> I heard that. I honestly heard that because... Every, every meeting I've attended, every conference I've attended on teenage pregnancies, for example, mm -hmm. people be saying the same thing. And if I went in, in Burundi, if I went in uh, Gisenyi, Rubav, wherever mm -hmm. I would go, it is the same problem. We don't want to, we want to, we have so much knowledge. We want to keep producing knowledge, but we are not using the knowledge to mm -hmm. really craft interventions that are tied to that knowledge. I really heard that. I really, I, I heard that I'm also in one way contributing to that. You know, you mm -hmm. keep producing knowledge, but what are we using the knowledge for? We should move from that part to actually really doing implementation, a research mm -hmm. type of work. And really engage the really actor who are the communities know better. We think right. we are experts, 
I sit in front of my computer and I think I know, and that's wrong. The people in the field know better. So I really have that. That's so true. And I always, you're right. I do sometimes spend time thinking, like, I remember doing some research on, I was looking at global burden of disease for children for a specific um, project that I was on. And the, you're right that the, the like, we know, we know why children are dying before they turn five or before they turn one or in their yes, first Yes, we do. We know the problem and we know it's the answer is have more children have access to care. We know it's oral rehydration salts. We know it's, you know, we have the mothers, have mentors and people. But we you're right that we keep going back to do research or we keep, I don't know, regurgitating the same information. Yes, re- repeating the same thing. And we know not... that. <laughs> and we actually project the mistakes on the people. We think, for example, if we have a program at the health facility and women are not coming for antenatal care, we'll always mm-hmm. say, oh, women are not coming. But is it really the problem? Have mm-hmm. we looked at how we deliver services? So mm-hmm. all those things that are internal. Or have we asked the women, right, why they're not able yes, to yes. the time and, and the, like, the, the distance that you I, brought up um, to the facility yes. and things like that. No, no, I'm with you there. That's definitely a very, <laughs> very real frustration. But glad to, glad to know that there are people like you equally frustrated and will work together to come up with better ways of connecting the research once it's produced to actually, you know, real life solutions on the ground that are also like including the people who we researched on, right? I think that's the, it sounds like the way you described it, that might be the gap. So something to think about. And maybe once you finish your PhD or when you're halfway through, you can come back and give us some updates (laughs) and tell us more. Yes, hopefully. Yes, I I would love to do that. Right. No, yeah, I'll be excited to have you again. Um, this has been fun. This has been so great. I've learned so much um, just from the short conversation about your career and like the different um, motivators and things that led you to different places. Um, this has been really great and informative. As we wrap up, I just wanted to hear like if you were to look back at like Sandra when you were 18 year old to 18 years old like what would be your word of advice to maybe an 18 year old or a young adult version of yourself you know before your 10 years of experience like what would be your words of advice to people either still trying to find out what they care about or maybe they now have listened to the podcast and say oh I want also want to be in public health like what can I do what would be like your words of wisdom and your advice to them Yes, uh, thanks for that question. Uh, the first thing is to, I'll tell them to really be open to new op- opportunities. Uh, it might not be the, the job of your dream or the opportunity of your dream, but be open, to, be open to that and develop a base to you academically, sports, music, you know, don't, you know, don't, um, don't ignore other things and whatever field that you judge you have an interest in it, develop the best you and be humble even when you are at your best and be respectful of elders or older colleagues or people you aspire to be and then love your family that's very important oh yeah absolutely the love your family piece oh my god that's very important (laughs) and also just realizing that um, i think uh, previous guests highlighted that we're more than just our careers And that, you know, we come from people, you know, from families and communities and to constantly like love on them and be there for them. I loved your be respectful of elders. (laughs) 
or the people <laughs> or the people in your career, all the people in your yes, because <laughs> there is nothing you can achieve alone. So you need to mm-hmm. partner with people. You need you need to collaborate, and you have to be respectful. You have to be humble. That's true. Be humble, even develop the best you. But even when you get to that best version of yourself, be humble and be respectful. And you're absolutely right about like the being open to new opportunities, right? Like it sounds to me like even your GHC fellowship, that was an opportunity, right? That you were open to, or even going to the masters or different opportunities that presented themselves and you're open to take them on and have led you on your career. So all good stuff. We'll be excited to end of this episode and shared with everyone and then in terms of things you want to share um i think i can go ahead and like we can follow up after if you can just share links to the different things i think we highlighted ghc fellowship we talked about uge and the different programs so if you can share the links to those i can put them in the episode notes but yeah this has been amazing i don't know if you have any other closing words before we call it a day (laughs) Um, yes, uh, this has really been exciting. And every time when I'm talking about anything, I really love to, to conclude by talking about love. Mm-hmm. Now, not love, you know, of course, love has several meanings. And right. it's most often understood as a verb meaning romantic feelings for another. But to me, love can be a public health intervention. Mm. So what I'm referencing here is the application of the science of a socio-ecological model. It's really an evidence-based prevention framework where a a person's health and well-being are inextricably linked to his or her immediate and extended environment. So moving from the individual outward family, community, and the global environment impact the health of an individual so relationship with family schools workplace and the social connection to community all influence the trajectory of health so let us be love let us spread love and let us center love thank you amazing this is just perfect oh oh my god i won't even add to that i'll just let those be the closing words thank you so much for your time sandra this has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona. And today I was hosting Sandra Isano from Rwanda.